On this episode of Twisted and Misunderstood, the paranormal podcast from Anchor. On this episode, do aliens walk amongst us? Are aliens a part of where we live? Do we see aliens every day and not recognize them? Is there something going on that we should know about? This episode is dedicated to the possibilities that aliens could live right next door to where we're living. Do aliens live amongst us? Well, if they do, I want to introduce you to a couple of names that you may have heard of in the past. The name Clarence Stone is well known in ufology circles. But if you've never come across Clarence Stone, Clarence Stone was a sergeant in the US Air Force. And he had a particular job that was very unique This is a job that he has claimed, and he's written several books about his time working with this particular area of his particular work. But you have to know Clarence Stone as a man who claims to have been an alien communicator. Now, that's quite a strong statement to actually start off a a podcast with, a guy that claims to have been able to talk with aliens, to actually connect telepathically with aliens and actually be the main interface is how they used to put it between the alien and the humans so this is clarence stone a professional interfacer for the u.s air force now if clarence stone's story is to be believed which i've got no reason to doubt him it actually tells us that aliens have been known to us since 1947. Now, okay, that's quite a long time now, isn't it? It's it's going into, we're coming up for maybe 65, nearly 70 years of knowing about aliens and their existence. But not just knowing about them, but communicating with them as well because Clarence Stone has actually documented several occasions where he's been tasked with interviewing different extraterrestrial entities, or they they call them different sort of things. The the government call them all sorts of things, but the extraterrestrials have been talking to us for over 65 years. So, 
that's that's a that's a fact that if we want to actually accept that it makes the rest a little bit easier to believe and look him up look up Clarence Stone look up his books look up his work look up the things that he's done there's another really famous case of an Air Force guy who I can't remember his name right now, but he also let go. He, he allowed an alien to escape. And that's also another very famous case that's been documented. There's been TV programs written about it. But again, if it's true, then it actually demonstrates that aliens have been talking with us. They've been interacting with us for many years now. So that's Clarence Stone. The next person that really piqued my interest was a guy called Charles Hall. Now, Charles Hall also worked for the US government, but he worked as a meteorologist at an Air Force base in the Nevada desert. Now, Charles Hall hasn't got a distinguished service record or anything that maybe makes him stand out. But what he has got is a unique and very, very interesting story that he tells about his time whilst working in the Nevada desert with what he calls as the tall whites. And this story that he claims makes a very interesting listening, but it's also a fascinating subject to get into if we start talking about other extraterrestrials that maybe aren't always aware to everybody. Now, Charles Hall was a guy who worked on this meteorology station in the middle of the Nevada desert. And what he said was, is that the tall whites had a base very nearby where they used to fix or mend any damaged spacecraft that they were using. Now, he said that they stayed at the base for over two years. And during that time at the base, he would interact with them on a daily basis. So that's two years in the 1960s where Charles Hall would interact with these tall whites. Now, the story is quite unique because he said that these are the only race of aliens that are known to us which is quite a statement in itself. You know, I'm thinking, hang on, the only race of aliens that are known to us, how many other alien races do we know of? But he talked about the only race of aliens known to us that travel with their children. And he actually, he actually documented the fact that there are male and females, there's children, and that they're very protective of their, their children, very, very protective. He also said a couple of things that made quite a lot of sense in, in the sense of these tall whites. He says that they grow, they, they don't stop growing when they reach adulthood. They carry on growing. So the the really old tall whites are really tall. <laughs> he said that they get up to eight foot tall and their limbs just keep growing. But he said because their limbs keep growing, they become very brittle. And it takes, if they break a bone, it takes them a long, long time for that bone to, to repair. He actually stated that they're very jealous of our quick healing times, that if we hurt ourselves, we heal very quickly. They didn't, that they, they managed to actually 
they have to take a long time to get themselves back. But they were integrated into this Air Force base in Nevada for some two years whilst learning about the human race and the activities of the human race, as well as having a, a base there to to make sure they maintain their, their craft, which they used to fly interstellar travel you know, throughout the universe. They're a very intelligent race of people, but very curious about us as humans. And he was very strong to indicate that the, the curiosity would be about how they could walk amongst us, how they could actually get involved with the things that we got involved with. And some of them would be very active in disguising themselves and going out and doing things that as, as partaking as humans would. And one case that Charles Hall talks about is aliens used to go across to Las Vegas to play on the roulette wheels and to gamble. Now, that may be quite a, a shock to us to think that these well-advanced civilized creatures that come from many light years away want to actually participate in such rudimental you know, practices as gambling. But he actually stated that they would love to get away and actually just mix with humans, just go and go and see what the human beings were doing. And they used to disguise themselves, used to dress and put sunglasses on, hats, and they would just walk around with the human population and just 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 enjoy at time just um, looking at what the civilization would be. Now, when you think about it, tall whites doing this is quite natural for them. If we were to go and travel across space and go and find other planets with intelligent life on, we would want to integrate. We would want to go and actually have a look around the society almost in disguise. So what he says to me makes perfect sense when it comes to what it is like to have the actual interaction with a different race of beings. But it also goes to show that this subject is not something that we actually get to hear about all the time. We just don't. It's, uh, it's something that people just don't talk about. So the fact that Charles Hall spent two years on this base in Nevada with these whites, with their children, with females and males, and the fact that they had different structures to us and different um, biological features, but also well, were also you know humanoid. You know they had two arms, two legs, a body, and a head. Actually, shows that it's a very not a unique thing that we would actually be able to interact in such a way, and that is the bit that Charles Hall stands out for. His story is very um, it's very believable, very feasible, but it's also a little bit incredible to think that if aliens are existing amongst us and that they're actually going to casinos and shopping in Nevada and going around Las Vegas, it's, it just shows that we're not here by ourselves but also that they're prepared, these alien races, to take small risks to understand us better.
so having heard about Clarence Hall and Charles, sorry, Clarence Stone and Charles Hall, it opens our mind to the possibility that aliens are actually here on this planet. I think there are two really strong cases to actually indicate that why would we want to question these people? What have they got to lose by coming out and actually talking about this? Well, I think quite a lot. Their credibility is in question if they find that these men that have had really long-serving, distinguished careers in their chosen fields are, are proven to be false, then it's, it's almost to a point of the credibility is there at this moment. So why would they come and talk to us about things like that if they weren't credible? I, I don't know. You know. I mean, maybe that's something that you would decide yourselves. But... I want to go on and actually share a few little bits and pieces about other sort of aspects of this, because I think it's an interesting subject. And as a as an oral reader, somebody that sees colours around people, I've been seeing aliens for many years in different guises, because we can look at people and we can see the way that we look. And most people have the same aura. Most people have a combination of different layers of the aura but the colors are the same so outer aura is normally orange inner aura is blue purple bit of yellow some green sometimes mixed in and the inner aura is normally different shades of green that's a human aura and i'm so used to seeing that i've been seeing auras for the last so many oh God, over 50 60 years nearly now so i'm very used to seeing what people look like and their energy signatures. It's no, there's no magic. There's no secret. It's just the way that I see things. So when I see somebody that hasn't got the same aura, it gives me a little bit of a red flag. It gives me the the thought to look. And I'm not saying that everybody that hasn't got auras are aliens, but it just makes me start to wonder whether they are different energy or different vibration for the people that we come across day to day because the world is full of people now isn't it there's seven billion people across the world big cities full of people very busy lives never really stopping to stop and you can imagine it's a great place for extraterrestrials to be because no one's really going to take notice of somebody that looks a little bit strange just not are they you know you you walk through new york london anywhere san francisco and just walk through and and see the people you could actually say think that aliens are already here in that in that guys because there's so many people look so differently it's very difficult sometimes to tell who are but for me with the auras it's a little bit easier to spot the energy now there's a thing about safe houses and aliens living amongst us and living in different locations they would choose big cities for me because i live in england london is the the most obvious place for aliens to be living because it's such a big wide um scans of territory and so many different cultures and people it's all very easy just to blend into the background and there's been a couple of times where in London I've actually come across what I thought were non 
extraterrestrial entities. Now, the first one happened when I was young. Um, I was only 17 and I was sat in a hotel in London. And of course, I've always been interested in aliens and UFOs. Since I was about five, I've been buying books and reading about the different phenomenons that are extraterrestrial. So it's not something that I haven't been interested in. I've always been interested in them. But this was the first time that I actually sat in, in a place and noticed somebody with a re- really quite a strange aura. This, this guy who was sat across the, the foyer from me in the same lobby at the hotel was reading a paper. <laughs> very normal. Yeah, a guy, five foot eight, very sort of tan skin, looked about 40-ish. You know, no, nothing to really make him feel that he was any different to anyone else or anybody else that may not may have been in that area. So my mind, I'm thinking, hang on, this guy doesn't look normal. His aura was very white. It was very close to him. It was very, if you like, energetic. It was, it was almost like he had no impurities in his aura at all. So I sort of recognized the fact that this was either a very, very fit human being or, or somebody that may have come from a different um, a different solar system, maybe. So what I did was I sat there not really knowing what to do. And I thought, well, hang on. I've read these books and I've talked to people who say that they're, they, are, they use thought. And thought is a very important part of their communicational strategies. And they're telepathic. So in my mind, I said to the, I said out loud in my head, if you are an alien, scratch your nose. And I waited about three seconds and this man scratched his nose. Well, okay, that could be a coincidence. So I repeated it and he did the same thing again. Now you've got to bear in mind I was quite young and not that, I'm not that real clever about anything and a little bit of a bit timid. So I got up and went out of the hotel pretty damn fast. I didn't look back because I thought, well, if this guy or this person is an alien, I don't really want to be too close with him knowing that I know that it's him. So that was my first encounter with something. Now, you can pick holes in the story and the recall is is not what it used to be 50 years ago. But the fact is... That is a very real story that happened in London, England, to me when I was still a teenager. And that stuck with me quite a long time because it was something quite unique. I always used to think of it as being a story that something that I went through and something I experienced. But as I've got older, it's become very much more profound because I've I've learned more about the phenomenon of um, aliens and how they do live amongst us how they have their own safe houses and they live in groups and they study us and try to understand our culture and get to know the things that we do in our on our particular on our particular planet so i know that they're there i know that they live amongst us and they're they're really there in full sight in full view if you know what to look for then you will spot aliens You will see them, especially if you live in some of the big cities across the world, 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's um, there's three real good places. Um, Los Angeles is a really good place to see an alien. There's also in into Australia. There's um, a big, big um, part of Melbourne that is very famous for watching and seeing aliens. And also, funnily enough, in in London, London is a very popular place. Now, you wouldn't know it because in London you could just walk along the streets and you probably think that you're walking with aliens already. But the possibilities of them living amongst us are very strong. And if you know what the signs are, then you may start to look. And there are three different types of aliens that I think that we can actually spot. There is the tall whites. Now, these are very uh, unusual because they're very, very thin. And very very tall and they come from between around about six foot to eight foot tall now if you see a very thin very blonde person walking down the street you might just think that's a humanoid which is absolutely fine it could be a, a, a mortal but the thing is these people these aliens do stand out by how they look they really do stand out and they can fit in because they'll wear baseball caps, they'll wear sunglasses to, to shade their eyes, they'll wear normal clothes that we would wear. They would really just look a little bit sort of um, a little bit different, but on a day-to-day basis, we wouldn't really look too closely. We wouldn't notice them. But their auras are very white. They're, they're almost invisible. So their energy fields vibrate so fast and so quick that you can hardly see any other interference of color apart from the very white outer spectrum. And that is something that I noticed on several occasions when I've seen tall whites actually walking around in, in different places. And I know that they are different, um, different bodies of different, um, different aliens. So these tall whites, you can spot them if you know what to look for. The next um, one that I saw was on a, a train in London. Again, London seems to be a really good place to spot aliens. And this was a, a guy around about five foot six. He was totally bald. He had his, um, he had a, a, a black um, coat on, like one of those wool coats that, that you wear, very sort of um, business-like black coats. He had his eyebrows were tattooed. They were flat over his forehead. He had his eyes were very, very wide apart. But he also was very, just trying to blend in, trying to, to stand on a train, just, just, just blend in with the people there. And I was with my wife, Alison, and we both saw him. We both recognized the fact that he was a little bit different. He had something he was holding up to his up to his ear, but he wasn't talking into it. It was just like a little device that he had in his in his hand, which was a normal hand. This is a, a person that you would easily think was a human being. But again, his aura was a little bit more expansive. It was a little bit bit fuller out, but it was also very white which meant that the human side of him wasn't showing. So 
this was another guy that we spotted on a train coming from London out to the suburbs of London, you know, out to the counties. And he was there with us. We were watching him for three stops before he got off the train. So that was another encounter with something that I believe was non-human. It wasn't a, wasn't a human being that we were looking at. It was a, obviously an ET. I think that they, they obviously work and live amongst us fairly easily without too much um, worry about being spotted. I think that the reason this particular entity got off the train was because I was sort of elbowing my wife a little bit, saying, look, have a look, just just get a, a really good vision of this guy, this person across the train, because that way we can both talk about this later. We both get a description because it's, it's a little bit more difficult to take out your phone and, and get a picture. In fact, during the time that we saw him was in the early 20s, um, the early noughties, and it was very difficult to see where people were within that sort of environment. So, you know, mobile phones had just come in. They weren't the same technology as what we have today, but it was also an interesting an interesting meet. So there are a couple of the aliens that I've met in England, and in the next part of this particular podcast, we'll talk a few more things. Welcome back. And I'm sure that aliens amongst us is a worldwide thing. Whatever part of the world that you listen to this podcast in and Twisted and Misunderstood is heard in up to 65 different countries now. I'm sure that many of you would have had your own experiences, maybe even your own ideas of what an alien is in your own countries. But there is probably a very common theme about this is that most countries throughout the world will have had alien safe houses and will have aliens living amongst their own population. The, the, the only thing that we have to work out is how to spot them. And being an aura reader, I get to look at these, these auras that I see around people all the time. So it's not too difficult for me to spot but I think for us as normal human rational beings, we tend to give anything the benefit of the doubt because we're not really expecting to see non-terrestrial people or entities walking around the streets where we live. But that's the biggest thing, that they're there in full sight. And I think that if you live in one of the major capital cities of the world or if you live in a big, big city, you know, I think California 
there's quite a lot of alien bases, uh, you know, in the sea just off the Californian coast, as well as Australia, and a place where I was to visit um, a few years back, a place called Malta, which is a, a little island in the Mediterranean that is um, ex-British. You know, it's a very British-centred um, um, community, very religious, but very deep harbours. And it's, very, it's thought that there's alien bases around that part of the world, buried deeply in the actual underground, in the water. So the actual meeting an alien in Malta isn't that difficult either. So if you ever want to travel to Europe and you want to go and visit an island, go and visit Malta because I think it's got quite a lot of activity going on there. When I got there, which was, gosh, about 10 years ago, we just went for a holiday, um, last minute um, trip, and we flying over. We saw on the plane when, as we got onto the trip to Malta that there was a, a UFO conference there during the time that we were there. So that was the end of our holiday because we decided that we would go to the conference rather than do anything else. So it is that sort of interaction that you get with um, different places. But this was Malta. This was back in the, you know, 2010. And it was a place where we could actually go and enjoy the warmth, but also go and see, you know, the culture and go and take part in this conference, which we were lucky enough to go and meet people like Colin Andrews, who came over to Malta especially just to do the, just to do the talk on, on crop circles. So he was a very interesting man. But during our time there, we had two events that happened. I, I came across a, a little female alien um, who was very clear that she was an alien. Um, it was really strange because, you know, she kind of be more than five foot, but she had very, very narrow, tight aura which was amazing for me to see. And she looked me straight in the eyes, curtsied and walked on. I knew that she was an alien. It was just one of those crazy things, crazy moments that you can't really describe too much, but you know what you've seen and you know that they know that you know, and it's that. And that's where part of that comes from. And during the, the time there, there was also another... One that we, I, same sort of similar alien like I met in the hotel in London, same sort of um, five foot eight, tan skinned, looking about 45 ish, who came into a shop when I was actually in the shop and his aura was narrow. And I can remember thinking that's an alien. And as soon as I thought that's an alien, he'd gone. And we couldn't actually, he was out of the shop and gone and we, we couldn't even see where he went. So that happened there. And then on the flight back, we actually got a flight back to the UK. And as we were flying over the Alps, we had a, a, a very close encounter with a, with a spaceship. But that's, that's all we can say. It was a, like a UFO that flew past the, the back of the plane. And then <laughs> as that went past, two fighter jets followed it. So it was, it was really quite a surreal time because... We never decided to go to Malta that time. We never really thought we should be there, but obviously we were meant to have a few encounters and maybe these 
these entities, these um, extraterrestrials were there for the conference. But if you ever want to go to Malta, it's a great place because I think they've probably got alien bases under the water around the harbours. They're really quite deep waters. It's the deepest place in the Mediterranean for um, for, the, for the sea. It's a, it's a natural harbour in Malta. And I think that that's been a place for extraterrestrial um, visitation for probably over you know over the centuries many many times there's so much history there's so much reported um activity out that way it's a great place to go and explore if you're interested in meeting aliens basically it's um something which not many people talk about but for me it's a, a really quite a strong area so that's really about aliens meeting aliens being able to see be aware be aware as you walk around in your daily life that not everything is what it seems. You know, if we go around with our head down and not looking too much, well, we won't see anything. In fact, we'll probably miss a lot of stuff that we would normally see just by not looking. And, and that's something that we do anyway. But if you're interested and you're fascinated by the whole concept that there are aliens living amongst us, then you need to look. You need to look carefully at the people that you're coming across in your daily life because you will spot one of these aliens. Now, a lot of aliens look like us. I don't think that we're only, you know, we're not looking for two-headed green with a tail. We're looking for, you know, pretty much two legs, two arms, a head and a body. But we have to learn, I think, how to spot energy. And, and spotting the energy is the key because that will help us identify what is and what isn't. Now, you can take this a stage further and actually say that the energy is the key to understanding everything that there is to understand on this planet. And if you can spot human auras, then you'll be able to spot alien auras. You'll also be able to spot, which I believe probably are amongst us, things like shapeshifters. Um, they can take up any form, but that aura is different. So if you had two dogs and one was a shapeshifter, you would see a different aura in, in the shapeshifted. And also, anybody that wants to disguise themselves and, and wear clothes and wear our own um, particular, you know, what we wear as human beings, you need to be able to spot those people. And learning how to, to see energy and how to read an aura is a really, really, really useful thing when it comes to alien spotting. Because the things that we don't know, we base, we can't base our knowledge on. There's so much that we don't know that you haven't even thought about that you don't know. And so it doesn't become a part of our thinking. And so our daily life, when we're looking at around us, we're not really looking for aliens. We're not aware of it. Well, most of us aren't. There may be a few of us that maybe now, but also shapeshifters, you know, dimensional travel. There's the the uh, the real the real um, about Doctor Jonathan Reed who who came across a, a interdimensional shifting alien walking his dog. That's another really interesting story if you want to look him up. There's so much that is there if we want to look it up that is going on. But it seems to be in plain sight without us knowing about it. 
And I think we should be much, much more aware of what's going on. This has been Dominic J. Zenden for the Twisted and Misunderstood podcast here on Anchor. So many ways to get in touch with us here at Twisted and Misunderstood. Come and leave us a message on Anchor. You can leave me a voice message. Always interesting to hear your comments. You can come and talk to me on my email, which is auraprofiling at gmail.com or the website, mindsight.org. I'm sure you're all aware of those right now. All music that you've heard during this particular podcast has come by kind permission of Mel West Mac Waters. Mel can be found at a SoundCloud page and is a beautiful, very creative, spiritual music teacher. And if you want to learn how to sing or play an instrument, go and have a chat with Mel. She's an amazing lady. So until next time, sleep well, take care and look after each other.